0: I want to invite you to stand with me. We always read a passage of scripture together, and we're going to be diving in. Today is the beginning of Advent, the Christmas season in the Christian calendar, and we're going to be reading the stories of Christmas from the Gospels, and I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2. It'll be on the screen, and you can follow along as I read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem and asked... Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet, and here they're quoting Micah, has written in the Old Testament, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. That's a political lie. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were, what's the word? Oh, you didn't even believe that. Say it one more time. One more time. That's what we're talking about all the way through Christmas. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for respecting God's word that way. I want to talk to you today about how, if you are an anxious person, or you live with an anxious person how today you can find joy. Uh, Today's about joy for anxious people. And uh, we're we're gonna go to school on joy. Now, the the reality is, is that when you don't know something, when you don't know about something, one of the best ways that you can go and figure that something out is that you go to school on it. And so we're gonna go to school for a few weeks as we look at the Christmas story on how to have joy in our life, does anybody want joy in their life? Okay. In the first service, like three people. So come to the first service next week and help them out, right? Uh, so I, I, you, you go to school, right? When you don't know, you, when you don't know something, you go to school. I, I, uh, you might not know this, but uh, when you are deciding to be a pastor, um, there's uh, available to you, uh, you can go to school. And I went to school to learn things about being a pastor that I didn't know. I went to, uh, got an undergrad degree in religion and then uh, pastored for a few years as a youth pastor. And then went back to what's called seminary where I got a degree uh, there. And, uh, and, and the reason I did that is because there were a lot of things I just didn't know. Just was Clueless. And in fact, that's all school is. It's just people who've figured out something about something and then they pass it on to you. So if you wanted to be uh, an iron worker, guess what you do? You go to school on how to be an iron worker. If you want to be a plumber, guess what you do? You go to school. On how to be a plumber, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be uh, an accountant, you go to school on it. And when you go to school on it, what happens is, uh, if you do it the right way, is a positive change comes into your life. And where before you didn't know some things or couldn't do some things, now you learn how to do some things and some different things come into your life. And so, what we're going to do is, we're going to go to school. On joy. Now, you have, if this requires that you have to believe something. And the thing that you have to believe is that you can learn anything this way. You may have never thought about the fact that you might be able to have more joy in your life... By learning about what joy is and how you can have joy in your life. But the reality is you can learn anything that way. Now now you need to understand, uh, this is a Christian church building. And in case you wandered in from somewhere else, like, where am I right now? This is a Christian church, which means that we follow Jesus here. And whenever you follow anyone, you follow them because of the kind of person that they are and what they have and we follow Jesus because of the kind of person that Jesus is and what Jesus has. We want those things in our life so we follow Jesus. Now you may have read the gospels. The gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. They are the the biography if you will of the life of Jesus told from four different perspectives and um, in those gospels it's kind of between the lines but it's, it's there explicitly at points too. You find out that Jesus was a person of Incredible joy. I had a friend say it to me like this. He said, um, It's a guy, and guys will understand what I'm saying when I say this. Uh, but this was Jesus, and he went around the hillside with 12 guys who liked each other, and then they sat around a campfire at night. Now, listen, ladies, I know you don't know what we do when we get together, but if you're a guy and you sit around a campfire with other guys at night, is it boring? No, it is not. It is full of joy. Maybe the women don't like that kind of joy, but the men love that kind of joy, right? It's full of joy. Jesus was full of joy. Jesus was so full of joy that children ran up to him. Now, maybe you don't like kids, okay? I get it. They're they're hard to deal with. But here's what I know about children. Children run up to people because they have a joy meter in them somehow, a joy sensor, and they they know the people that have joy. And so they run up to them. And the the, the Gospels are filled with the life of Jesus. Children just running up to Jesus. See, we, we sometimes think Jesus was this very serious person who spoke in monotones and said things like this. He was a person full of joy. And so we're following Jesus because we want everything in our life that Jesus had in his life. And one of the things that characterized Jesus, maybe more than anything, was joy. Now, If you had more joy in your life, what would that look like? Well, I think it would look like you would have more laughter. You would have more smiles. You would have more peace. You would have more at-easeness with yourself and with your circumstances. You would have more patience. You would wake up glad for the day. You would have more hope. Now, would you like those things in your life in increasing measure or no? Is it just me with the people from the 9 o'clock service, right? (laughs) We're going to go to school on how to get joy in our life. Now, the, the problem comes right away because even when I talk about like this, you, you, you're feeling a resistance. I felt a resistance even, even preparing for this. I was like, can you really, I mean, can you have that? Can you just learn about that and then just have it? Uh, the reality is most of us in, in our culture today and, and in the region, uh, we feel not joy, but we feel like life is uncontrollable. Uh, We feel like life pushes us around. We feel that if joy, if it ever comes to someone like us, is random, like you bumped into it on accident. It's not something you can actually plan to have in your life. And so we think joy comes to lucky people or to privileged people or to old people who have no time to be stressed by life and are retired not not me, people, people. That didn't come to people like me. It comes to all of those people. and And the reality is most of us think that joy is for people who have all of the right circumstances in our life. Then when we get that, then we get joy. Now, what we've got to do if we're going to learn about joy is we've got to pull back the curtain on our, our way we think about this, because that way of thinking about it that's so prevalent that we often operate with without even realizing it, that, that's, that's driving how we see things. And this is, this is the thought behind that. Just listen and see if this is not reality for many people. The way of thinking about that, you know, this is for other people and I, I can't have joy, means that circumstances are driving our outlook not the other way around. Whatever happens to me determines how I feel. And I have no control over it. Now, if we're gonna take a road trip and we're gonna learn about joy, um, here's what I want to know anytime I go on a road trip. And it's what my wife wants to know when we go on a road trip. And, and the question is who's driving? Because she doesn't want me to drive. Um, <laughs> I wanna know when I go on a road trip who's driving? Uh, when I was uh, a middle schooler, my family lived in Springfield, Missouri, and I think against my parents' better judgment, one day they let me get in the car um, with a guy named Mark. Mark was uh, 16. I think he'd just gotten his license. If you know the character Tigger, I don't know what movies he's from, but Tigger, and he had bounces everywhere. Mark was like the human version of Tigger. He was, just out, he was wild. He was just kind of out of control. Everything was a little bit nutty. And my parents, I guess against their better judgment, because if they'd known they'd have never let me get in the car, uh, let me go from the church building to somebody's house where all the teens were going. And so I got in the car, and I remember very vividly, he was in the front, and I think there were two girls. He packed in the front passenger seat and about four people in the back, and he had a hatchback. And me and one of my other middle school friends were pressed against the glass on the back, like, ah! And he was driving about like you would imagine Tigger would drive, like, ah! He's screaming and yelling and peeling around corners, and I'm terrified for my life, right? Many of us have a mark driving the car, and we feel like we have no control. Now, I have another friend, his names I'll, I'll give his uh, full name because of the internet and all that, David Lacey, uh, who worked with, when I was a youth, uh, a middle school pastor, he he uh, was one of our volunteers. And and when you got in the car with David, it was just like, everything was perfect. It was like, uh, before Uber, I'm like, he was like the ideal Uber driver. He just, everything was fantastic. You know, it's like, ah, you could just, it, it was wonderful. If you went on a road trip, you wanted David to drive for you. Now, Here's here's, here's what I'm getting at. We have a joy problem. And one of the main reasons we have a joy problem is because joy is not driving. Um, And and I think, here's here's an illustration that might might make this this clear. Because you're, you're feeling right now like, but I don't have a choice. Yeah, I think you do. We have a tendency to either operate in our life like a thermometer or a thermostat. You know the difference, right? i got a picture of of both of these. Uh, A thermometer, um, one measures and one sets. So what does a thermometer do? A thermometer is defined by what's around it. It records what's happening. It's set by the temperature in the air. Uh, You have to wait when you're using a thermometer. You probably, on Thursday, if you made the turkey, you probably stuck a, a, a thermometer in the turkey to see when it was done, and you had to wait. And when you're acting like a thermometer reacting to everything you just there's a lot of waiting in your life for something better to come along but on the other hand a thermostat does the opposite doesn't it instead of being defined by what's around it it sets the temperature it decides what's what happens it defines what's around it now this is a a series called school of joy and you know when you went to school you had pop quizzes right And you would walk in and the teacher would say, pop quiz. And maybe some of you are going to have test anxiety right now. But I'm going to give you a pop quiz. All right? You're going to pass this pop quiz. It is not going to be graded. No one is going to see your work. It is going to be okay. So here's the pop quiz, all right? Ask yourself this question. Right now in my life, do I act more like a thermostat or a thermometer? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm telling you, I'm going to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. I'm telling you, I'm going to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Now, here's the question if we're talking about going to school on joy, we have to ask ourselves the question what exactly is joy? Now, I think this is one of those things that you maybe discover by seeing what its opposite is, and I would say that the opposite of joy is anxiety. You know, like I know, if you pay attention to the news, that Um, they report now that in our culture, anxiety is at almost epidemic levels. Almost everybody struggles with anxiety, and there's anxiety medication, and I'm not telling you that there's something wrong with you if that's you. If you need medication, take it. But I'm just saying it's at epidemic levels because everyone feels this sense of dread. Anxiety is when you feel overwhelmed by life. Here's a way to think about it. It's the dreadful feeling that I'll always be feeling what I'm right now feeling. Can Can anybody identify with that? Like right now, I feel something, and I'm pretty sure I'm always going to feel what right now I am feeling. Right? If you have your sermon notes and you want to fill in the first blank right there, here's a, here's a definition of anxiety. Anxiety is my reaction when I see how overwhelming life is. Joy is the opposite. Uh, joy is what you when you walk down the hall at an elementary school and you see a kid standing there in line and they're doing this right here you know and they're, it's like this uh, this life that you can't get rid of right it's just like a response to it's like oh everything's going to be okay let me give you a definition that we're going to work with all the way through this series joy is my appropriate response when i see what god has done anxiety i say oh life's so overwhelming what am i gonna do what am i gonna do about that how am i fix i can't i can't joy on the other hand is the response when i finally see what god has done now um you can have anxiety or joy over the same circumstance in in this story in matthew chapter 2 uh, the one circumstance happens there's a star And the wise men come from the east and they meet with Herod, who is a paranoid schizophrenic, many scholars think. And and they say that there's someone who's born who's going to be the ruler of his people. He sees it as an immediate threat. His response, the text says, is that he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. In other words, he had anxiety to such a degree that he let everybody else around him feel it. So there's that, that response to the circumstance. But that same circumstance... The wise men are excited. So just because you have a circumstance does not mean you have to respond with anxiety. So here we are. That's the longest introduction you've ever heard in your entire life. uh, On week one of this series on joy. And what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through the the familiar characters of the Christmas story. We're going to look at the stories and see what each of their journey teaches us about how we might bring joy into our life. Now, we're going to peel the onion, okay? I'm not, I'm not telling you in three easy steps you can have joy. I'm going to give you three easy steps later, but they're not. <laughs> we're going to peel the onion, okay? We're going to peel the onion, and we're going to learn about this, and, and we're going to look at these stories that we all know, that we've heard about, that we're familiar with, but sometimes the familiarity makes us unfamiliar, and we don't really see what's actually happening. And so we're going to dig in to what's actually happening. Now, if you wanted to go to where the Christmas story was in the Bible, you read it for yourself. You could go to Matthew chapter 2, which is the only account of the wise men. Uh, and then you could also go to Luke chapters 1 and 2, which we're going to look at for the next several weeks. And this is the story of the shepherds and Mary and and um, the birth of Jesus, and, and the trip of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. And, um, it's not in the Gospel of John, not in uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, but this is uh, in Matthew chapter 2, is, this, is where we pick up the story of the wise men. Now, again, pop quiz, it's a school, right, school on joy. Uh, uh, pop quiz, again, um, this is some right or wrong answers here, just shout it out. How many wise men were there? Ah, trick question, we don't know, right? We all think it's three, doesn't say. Uh, what were their names? Not Bob. Uh, Thank you, Michael. Uh, We don't know. We don't know. What did they ride? Yeah, see, now you're all like, oh. <laughs> we, we think they rode camels, right? We don't know that. That's kind of the popular version is that there were three of them and uh, that we know their names and that they rode camels. We don't necessarily know that. We kind of make some assumptions about it. Most scholars think that these were men that came from ancient Persia, which would be modern-day Iran. And they were part of the, what's known as the Zoroastrian religion. That's a, a monotheistic religion, meaning believe there's one God. And these were men who were astronomers. They were religious and political leaders and they they watched the sky very closely and believed that there was a creator who created the sky and they saw some anomaly in the sky that they studied they were very educated men and they saw this thing and it pointed something out to them and they made a journey uh, to find out what this star meant this was obviously a sign that someone great had come into the world however you want to think about that Uh, but that's what was going on and then they went and who's the villain in the story Herod is the villain of the story. The, the Caesar of the day, the ruler of the Roman Empire, said had a saying. He said it's, it was better to be Herod's pig than his son because anytime time he sensed any threat, he would just kill the person who was a threat to him. You can dig through the archaeology and find all the places that he built. He was, from um, all, all outward appearances, a very successful person and wealthy, but inside he was full of paranoia. And, and they saw this star, this sign in the sky. And now there's a very interesting thing that the text says when they saw the star, they saw Herod and they went on to Bethlehem and this star stops over Bethlehem. It says that in the original language, doesn't always get translated uh, this way into English, but the original language says they, they saw the star and they experienced mega joy. Meg, not just, not like joy, but mega joy. Like, how would you like to have mega, not just joy, but mega joy? Would that be okay if you could have mega joy? Uh, mega joy. But here's the question for us that we're going to spend the rest of our time with How do you get mega joy into your life? So, what we're going to do is we're going to re- reverse engineer mega joy. Do you know what reverse engineering is? It's something they do in manufacturing and in, and in food. When something's popular, people will take it and, and they'll, they'll try to figure out how to make it work and they'll reverse engineer it. And and you could reverse engineer a Big Mac. You could go to McDonald's, buy a Big Mac, and then you take it off and you'll see that it's two all-beef patties and then you'll find that it's special sauce, <laughs> lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, two all-beef patties, special sauce, letty. okay, for those of you who got that <laughs> commercial reference, you're welcome. Uh, the rest of you are like, why is it, what's wrong with them? Uh. But you can reverse engineer it and find out what the component parts are, right? You can't just look at a Big Mac and go, okay, I think I got it. You got to pull the parts apart and then figure out how they made it. So we're going to pull the parts apart of what they did that got them to mega joy. Three blanks. I'm going to give you three things that will help you begin to peel the onion, okay? Here's the first thing. They were looking for something more. Now, this is an an absolute duh statement, but here it is, um, and it's this. Generally, we don't find something we aren't looking for. Duh, right? Generally speaking, you won't find a job unless you're looking for it. For those of you who are single and you would very much like to be married, I have some news for you. You generally will not find a spouse unless you are looking for them, okay? No one's going to drop Mr. or Mrs. Wright right now. It's not. You have to look for it. If you want peace in your life, generally speaking, you have to be looking for it. It's the same with joy. If you want joy in your life, you have to be looking for it. Now, we don't know the reasons... All that the, the wise men came from where they were, but this motivated a journey in their life from where they were to where they wanted to be. And so they came from the east to Bethlehem. Now, now, think with me for a moment about this journey that they went on. These are these are wealthy men. They were they were men, and and they were had some sort of caravan. I don't think it would have been just three. Probably would have been a whole caravan of servants and and people who would have gone with them on this very perilous journey. If you think about it, there was no state highway patrol patrolling the routes on their own camel. This is just people out, and, and they were carrying with them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there's a lot has been read into why they were carrying gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was the present you would give to a king. So some people say, well, they were, they were preparing Jesus to say, Jesus, you're going to be our king. Uh, frankincense is a, a, an incense that was used in the Old Testament and the, the incense and the the, the the pleasant aroma that would rise to God as a symbol of our our praise to God. And and frankincense it pointed to the fact that Jesus was our priest and he was going to bring us to God. And then myrrh was the spice that you would use to embalm a body and all three of those were incredibly expensive. So think about the journey that they went on uh, meandering all over the place with bands of robbers who who could have taken these things from them? Um, they, they invested significant resources into looking for something more. They were seekers, they were seeking something more. Now you've got to turn this in on yourself and ask yourself the question Are you a seeker? Uh, are you looking for something more? I mean, what are, you, what are you looking for in your life? Where are you journeying from to? Here, here's another way to think about this. What, when you finally have it, do you think will give you mega joy? If, your marriage, if you're not married and you get married, will, will that do it? Will you have mega joy then? If your marriage is not working out so great and you make it work out so great, will that give you mega joy? If you can get your kids to call you or behave or do what you want them to do, will that give you mega joy? Well, the parents are like, yeah, I kind of will. Is if, you, if you have a job you don't like and you get a better job, is that going to give you the mega joy? That you, I mean, what's the thing that you're looking for, the more that you're looking for that you think is going to bring it to you? Now, I have a, a 13-year-old, and I'm trying to help him not be 13, but that's not working out so well for me because he's 13. <laughs> And uh, right now, we're, we're working through, um, he, he's like most 13-year-olds, just preoccupied by the newest, brightest, and shiniest thing, and he's pretty sure that he has to have it right now. And he lets us all know when he doesn't have it right now. <laughs> he's pretty sure, because it changes, like just insert a new thing, and then it's, he's got to have it right now. And, and, and I'm just having these conversations with him as his dad to say, you know what, you're not, when you get that thing, it's not going to make everything Okay. You're letting your circumstances drive your outlook. And, and this is just us, right? We're all looking for, like, if no, I'll get that, and that'll do it, and then they'll get th- that'll do it. Uh, I, I met this week uh, in preparations for the Christmas offering. You'll see a little video of, of um, these folks a little bit later uh, in the series, but the superintendent of the Hobart schools and we were talking about what they do with this amazing program they've created called building Brookies. that were brickies that we're going to um support again this year um does amazing things for young fa- young families with little kids and and i didn't know this but she would know this she said that last year porter county um i don't know what what the drug was exactly but she said we were uh the capital of this drug in america We 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 won that award i don't think you want to win that award but we won that the reason people turn to a substance is because they're trying to short circuit the journey and go it's just too hard to get there and so I'll inject more into me i think i can get more in this pill and then i don't have to i don't have to think about the pain that i'm feeling i don't have to keep seeking now, now the message of Christmas is, is, is a beautiful message because the message of Christmas is that while you are seeking, that God himself is a much greater seeker than you are. And the, the message of Christmas, Christians believe that God himself came in the form of a baby born to the Virgin Mary and came into the world because he was looking for us. And so if you came in today and you're like, I'm not sure, I'm looking for something, but is anybody looking for me? I have wonderful news. The God of the entire universe is looking for you. He is the seeker. And so anything you seek is just a derivative of the fact that he's already seeking after you. That God went from there to here for you. God is looking for you. And you got to ask yourself the question, are you looking for him? Because you won't find something if you're not looking for it. So they were looking for more. Second thing is they accepted twists and turns. Um, now imagine their journey. They went on this, this crazy journey. And, and imagine if they'd started out and they'd said, okay, well, we're going to go from here. And, and day one, we're going to camp here. And I'm, I'm sure they had some semblance of a plan. But, you know, no thieves are going to try and rob us. And by day three, we'll be here. And then we're not going to meet any paranoid schizophrenic rulers. And if anything happens outside of the plan that we have set out, we are done. We are heading back home. Right? They would have never gotten there. They wouldn't be a part of the Christmas story. They accepted that on their journey of looking for something more, that there were going to be twists and turns that they did not anticipate it. And listen, listen to what I'm saying. You're not going to get to joy in a straight line. There is no significant journey that happens in your life without the unexpected coming into it. And we're, we're all walking right into the season when we're marketed to for, for millions and billions of dollars are spent marketing to us, telling us if we will just buy this product, we don't have to have any more twists and turns in our life. Mm-hmm. This will make it all go away. This will grow all your hair back. Let me know if you find that. They, they accepted that there were twists and turns. I love how Scott Peck said it. He said, uh, he said it this way. He said, life is difficult. And once you accept that, life's not as difficult. <laughs> Isn't that great? Third thing. In the end, their joy came from what they worshiped. In the end, their joy came from what they worshiped. Now remember, anxiety is my reaction when I see how overwhelming life is. And and joy is the response that I have when I see what God has done. And so here's here's what the text says. When they saw saw what God had done, they fell down. They, They felt the weight of what God had done and they worshiped him. Now let me give you an insight that that can help you understand yourself. It's it's kind of religious, but it's an insight that will help you understand yourself and why you do some of the things that you do when you you just don't get it. And and this is the insight. It's that everybody worships, meaning everybody attributes worth to something. In fact, the word is an old English word means worth-ship. You say this thing is worth my time. This is worth my money. This is worth my investment. Everybody has something that they say that's worth it. Everybody worships. Christians worship, atheists worship, communists worship, capitalists worship and it's more a default setting of the heart than it is a one-time act. See, we think when you hear the word worship, like, oh, I went in and I sang a song and I this is my act of worship. No, no, no. This is a, a a setting of your life. Uh, you, you could think about it like this: in ancient worship, people would take a journey, much like the wise men did, and they would sacrifice time and money and energy because they said, "This is worth my time. This is worth." the investment and you have a default setting in your life that says the, this thing is worth my time and money and if i have this thing then everything is going to be okay and it's going to save me from a bad marriage it's going to save me from loneliness it's going to save me from being overweight it's going to save me from not having any hair it's gonna, we say that we put all this weight on something and we we worship we ascribe worth to it so pop quiz again okay What are you counting on, if you had it, that you think will make everything work out in your life? And take an inventory of where you spend your time and money. Uh, For some of us, um, based on where we spend our time and money, we are pretty sure that our cell phone is going to bring more joy to us than Jesus. For some of us, uh, that's our cable bill. Because that's where our time and money goes. I mean, you can insert all kinds of uh, kinds of things into that, but none of those have the ability to. To bear the weight that you 're putting on them they're things that are made to be worshipped, made to be used in the service of the God who made us, and frankly, this is the cause of our anxiety is everybody 's worshiping something thinking that 's going to bring me the joy that i 'm looking that 's going to bring me peace and we just go from one thing to another, and that 's why the anxiety floods in because we 're trying we 're making a God out of a non God and trying to get it to save our marriage or give us self esteem or make our family okay, or take away the fear of the future. Listen to me as your pastor. Those things cannot do it. They do not work. You need to hear the words of Augustine. Augustine was one of the very first uh, leaders of the Christian church in the early centuries of the the Christian church. He said it's one of my favorite, favorite insights into this reality of worship. He said this. He said, he's referring to God. You have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless till they rest in you. See, we were made to worship the God who made us. And in that, when we see the God who made us, then the response can begin to grow in our heart of joy. Here's what I'd like to do. Um, just, I'd like to do an exercise. We're, we're peeling the onion and we're gonna peel the onion some more next week. But here's what I'd like to do just for you to take a moment of, of silence and, and take an inventory of your life. And here, here's what I'd invite you to do. Just, if you would, close your eyes. No one's looking at you and, and they're having their moment. And, and we do this sometimes around here. But just take your hands and and with palms down in a sign of letting things go. And take an inventory and say, I'm letting go of the things that I've been looking for, thinking they're gonna bring me the joy that I want. I'm I'm letting go of having to control the twists and turns. And I'm letting go of things that I've counted on to bring me joy and peace, things I've worshiped, created things. I'm letting them go. Before you, God, I let them go. I release them. And then, if you would, turn your hands up in a way, in a posture of receiving. And say, God, I I receive from you that you're the more that I'm looking for. I receive from you that you can guide me through the twists and turns of life. I receive from you that you are the one that I have always (laughs) looked for. You're worth my worship. You're worth my time. You're worth my energy. You're worth my investment. You're worth my money. And so, God, in this moment, we receive from you what you have to offer, and that's yourself. You're, we don't get to joy without you, Jesus, and so we ask for more of you in our life. The wise men came, and they worshiped you. Help us to see the wisdom and what they did. They've made a massive journey that cost them I don't know how much, but so much. Because they wanted to worship you. They wanted to know who you were. And oh God, we want that in our life. We want, we want to make the journey from wherever we are straight to you. So God, teach us joy. Jesus, thank you that you are our teacher and that your spirit is in us to guide us to joy. And so we, uh, we stop choosing the anxiety, we stop choosing the depression. God, I'm not, I am not. I know there are people who wrestle with this chemically and, and, and Lord, I pray your grace would be on them as they try to sort all this out. But God, we want to choose joy. We want to move beyond those things that were put into place where we have to choose these other things. We want to choose joy. So today, we choose joy. Teach us how to be people full of joy. We pray this in your name and all God's people who wanted that in their life said, amen. Amen. I want to ask you to stand if you would. We always leave you with a blessing. You'll see people holding out their hands. It's their way of saying they'd like to receive it. If you're comfortable with that, uh, feel free to do that. If not, that's okay too. Just receive this blessing. May you know the joy that Jesus had in his life that was so immense that little children ran up to him. May you know that kind of joy. You're sent now to love God, love people, serve the world. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See you next week.